You're listening to Go Dig a Hole. This is your host, Christopher Sims. This show is your archaeology toolkit, where I'll bring you resources to kickstart your career in archaeology. If you're still in school, thinking about going back, just getting started, or want to take the next step, Go Dig a Hole has you covered. All right, now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Today's show is a bonus episode that I'm releasing to make up for the shorter one I released last week in honor of International Podcast Day. On today's show, I'm joined by Matt Tuttle of Anthro Probably. He's an archaeologist who works on historic colonial sites in the Chesapeake Bay area. He also digs the cleanest excavation units you've ever seen. So check him out on social media at Anthro Probably and hear what he has to say. If you enjoy the Go Dig a Hole podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. There are many different subscription levels, and I appreciate everything that uh, the supporters have given so far. The Go Dig a Hole podcast is 100% independent and listener supported, and uh, you all are helping me do some amazing things, so thank you. So uh, tell me a little bit about um, the sites you've been working on, because it sounds like you've, you've had a few uh, over the past few months. Right, yeah. Um, I usually kind of go back and forth a good bit between the uh, peninsula area of Hampton Roads and then the south side. Um, a lot of times it's either Jamestown, Williamsburg, James City County, but um, lately I've been mostly at this site in Isle of Wight County, on the south side um, and it's a colonial site um, we've been waiting to kind of get at this place for a while um, it was a lot to go through to kind of so you know secure the property and um, we actually ended up getting the uh, ancestors of the folks that used to live there were able to get together and purchase the property um, in order for us to go and, and dig there and document it so it's um, there are brick ruins there at the site, and uh, they, you know, there's 18th and 17th century aspects to it. Um, so what we've got is is the earlier site was kind of robbed out a bit and built over top of by um, later folks in the uh, mid 18th century. Um, so we've got a lot going on there. Um, we've had interns again this summer um, from Christopher Newport University and did a field school out there um, as well this past spring. Um, but lately we've been focusing on this new site. That's awesome. And so if I get this right, it's private property and you've got, um, you know, the permission of the landowners to be to be working there? Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a unique situation. We actually are working um, in conjunction with uh, historic St. Luke's Church um, out of uh, the same county, Isle of Wight. And this is the oldest church in Virginia. Um, the generally accepted date is 1682 um, for it. So we're working alongside them and getting support from them and um, all the artifacts from the site are going to go back to this historic St. Luke's and they're actually building some sort of a museum annex to house the collection once we're done with it. And um, the, the big thing is, is that 
the largest benefactor, the person who helped build this church, you know, had something to do with the site that we're at. Um, so we're working on, um, you know, getting data at this site and um, getting support also from Christopher Newport University um, that Alan Outlaw and I um, have been uh, associated with. He's been teaching there for, uh, I think it's 20 years now. And I've been helping out doing the field school there um, for the last three or four years or so. Um, but we've basically been focused on that for the most part. And then as part of uh, the pretty much sweet deal that has happened at this place, um, the family, uh, you know, descendants of the folks who actually used to live there in colonial times um, have gotten together and purchased the property and um, are working in conjunction with all of these different entities um, to basically get the site fully documented, um, you know, did the STPs, now we're opening up real units and uh, getting into those foundations and all of that good stuff. Um, we actually started this week on doing geophysical surveys. Um, so we're going to be running GPR, you know, ground penetrating radar and magnetometry surveys um, and getting some maps made uh, based on the grid that we've already laid out. Um, we're actually working with Dr. Tim Horsley. Um, he's over at Northern Illinois University and um, runs this company called HAP. Um, and, and he's been great. He's working with us to kind of create some really neat geophysical maps um, and trying to locate, you know, things we might have missed in the survey or might not otherwise have known about, um, you know, locate pits, disturbances, any unmarked graves, metal, et cetera. And uh, so we've been doing that as well. And it's just, it's been a great experience so far to, you know, have good funding, good support from all sides. Um, it's been great. That is awesome. I I remembered a few days ago, you posted something on social media. Uh, and to paraphrase it, it was something along the lines of, if, if anyone were to tell you several years ago that you would be, you know, assisting in running a field school and that the university and the program would be, you know, building a new facility for the artifacts and, and all that, you would have laughed. And I, I was like, immediately very intrigued. I was like, I can't wait to talk to Matt about this. this is, <laughs> so yeah, that's it's really just, cool. It's been great. Um, yeah, Christopher Newport University also um, just got finished this past year building us a brand new archaeology lab, which I may have been telling you about when I spoke to you on the podcast last year, yeah, um, you know, we were looking forward to it and all that, but now it's, um, it's a real deal. It's in play. Um, it's, it's a wonderful facility on campus. Um, they actually converted a old, I think it's like a 1950s or sixties motel and uh, converted it over and gave us a couple of parcels, knocked out a wall, redid the interior completely. And we've got, uh, you know, office space, uh, research space, space for artifact cleaning, dry racks, wet racks. Wow. Um, so th that was pretty much a dream come true. We've been looking for that type of support for years and years. And um, the university uh, was happy to step up and help us out. And we've got this uh, kind of budding archaeology program um, 
So that's that's been great. That is really awesome. But it wasn't all good news, right? You had some vandalism at the site? Yeah, we a uh, couple of instances at the site in uh, Isle of Wight where we had some folks come through um, either over the weekend or at night and uh, just basically kick over, you know, articulated bricks from the foundations, uh, smashing bricks, things like that, um, which, you know, it seemed like it was just kids or just kind of like uh, little punks doing something, you know, <laughs> they don't care about anything. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't anything like too serious, but it's just, it's very frustrating, especially at a site where, you know, these foundations have been there for 350 years and we've been taking all this care, tiptoeing around them and, you know, brushing them with brushes and, you know, carefully weeding them out for months and months. And all of a sudden you come back on a Monday and someone's toppled a wall. And uh, that's that's, you know, never good to see. And it's a little disheartening. Um, but we uh, we've gotten a little smarter out there. We've got some now some security trail cams installed. Um, we we've got those going and we've we've doubled up our no trespassing signs and all the the legal help we can do things like that um and haven't had any problems since that large occurrence but uh, nice nice and i think the last time i had spoken with you uh you were you were either about to or maybe it was like a little bit further on the horizon uh the excavations at the jamestown blockhouse site how did that go yeah, we. Uh, I think the last time we talked, um, we were getting ready to get into this prehistoric uh, Native American pit house, and uh, or maybe we were working on it but hadn't finished it. But um, you know, this is the just to reiterate, this is the uh, the site at Jamestown that's uh, referred to as Amblers. Um, it's just north of the Jamestown Island proper. Um, it's called the 1611 Blockhouse, and it's uh, just a very large fortification, for those who don't know. It's about three times the size of Jamestown Fort. Um, so it encompasses, I would say, close to seven, eight acres, something like that, maybe uh, possibly nine. Um, but it's it was surrounded by palisade walls, and there's a um, at least two-story fortification that was up against one of the walls and an entrance and we've been working there i've been working there for about five years alan has been there for years and years off and on working um excavating everything by hand and 10 foot by 10 foot squares um but we've got the colonial aspects there um starting at 1611 um when they built this fortification and then we've got um occurrences during the American Revolution, and um, then we, there was another uh, establishment, you know, there during the uh, the 1800s, and then it was farmland. But going back, you know, under all that in the stratigraphy, we've got um, these prehistoric, you know, remnants at the site as well. Um, it it makes sense. the The point is, um, it's one of the highest points actually in the county, in James City County. It's it's overlooking the James River. It's got a creek next, you know, there's all these reasons why people would have been there for a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, so we we recently came across this humongous nine and a half by eight foot 
circular feature and um, you know completely different fill than the subsoil around it and very clearly a circle um, as soon as I uncovered it and um, were kind of intrigued for a while didn't know what we were looking at we thought maybe a trash pit is it a well you know we are excited because we're we're still looking for the well there um, at that site we haven't found it yet so we thought this could be the well you know and uh, we get down and probably one of the first days I think it was the first day that I bisected and started taking out the southern half of uh, this feature um, like the first hour into it I came down and pulled out some uh, cord impressed um, pottery oh nice and and it was a big, huge, you know, size of my palm piece and uh, just gorgeous. And uh, we got excited. And as we got further into it, we started finding, you know, debitage and uh, projectile points. And um, we kind of started thinking, well, I guess, you know, there goes that theory, you know, <laughs> the well. And, uh, you know, but you never know how Phil can get into somewhere where right. it's been, you know, redeposited. Um, but as we got down, we did find um, firecracked rock and um, in sort of a circular pattern down in the sea layer in the center of the thing. And um, it stepped on the southern entrance side to it. Um, so all of these things came together and um, we kind of got in our heads a date that we thought it would be and, uh, you know, kind of a cultural complex that we thought it would be associated with. And um as we started getting more, it uh, kind of shored up what we were thinking, and we actually ended up running um, some radiocarbon dating on um, a couple of charcoal deposits that we found um, that were, you know, in great shape, untouched, um, completely surrounded by the same layer of fill, and I was able to extract it very carefully, you know, put it in tin foil, and uh, we shipped it out got it to a lab and got it back and it, it matched, you know, right on point with the dates we were looking at. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, it was something like 1250 to 1280, um, plus or minus years old. So it's, uh, it's a ways back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it definitely was exciting. And, um, we had the students during that uh, field school year help me excavate um, one of the portions of it. And so they got to check out something a little different than what is normally done around, you know, the colonial triangle area. Everybody's usually so focused on colonial and historical archaeology. And so it was important for them to get a little taste, I think, of, of prehistoric stuff and see the projectile points and, the, you know, learn about pressure flaking and, firecrack rock and and all of those things so uh i ended up being really really neat feature to come across at a colonial site but it just goes to show you know you've got to tell the the whole story of the site not just part of it oh absolutely and something that's really impressing me about you know your your account of this is that it really highlights the scientific method throughout this so you started off with a hypothesis that perhaps this feature is a well and so you test this hypothesis and it ended up being wrong but then you refine the hypothesis and you come back like uh well it's it might be a prehistoric feature associated with such and such 
cultural complex. And so you started testing that hypothesis and it proved to be dead on right. And that I think is something that, you know, it, any of our listeners who might not be scientists, um, that is, that is like, that's what goes on when science is wrong. It's like, there are times when science has to be wrong before it can be right. And that's just part of the process. It's constantly refining. And, you know, that's one of those things that can sometimes be frustrating in the moment, like incredibly frustrating in the moment. Um, you know, but I, that's one of those things that's, that's like kind of a perfect experience in the field is to have that real um, kind of crisis of realization where you've got to refine your hypothesis and, and work around something that, you know, is not matching up with what you previously thought it would be. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, and it's, I like being able to show the students when they're out there and explain, you know, the whole process. And I, and I'll try and go through that to say, you know, this is what we first saw when we came down under a layer. This is what we initially thought, you know, just like you said, you know, trial and error and, uh, you know, working with your, your best guess and then um, eliminating all possibilities until you whittle it down to what it must be. And uh, that's a lot of it. You know, a lot of people say archaeology is an exact science. Um, you know, <laughs> you talk about relative dating or, you know, hypotheses that, you know, some could could be right, couldn't, might not be. Um but, you know, it's these ways and uh, methods that we use that, that get us to the best possible answer. Yeah, that is super awesome. Now, we're, when the vandalism happened at the site on Isle of Wight, um, were students present, you know, like the following day in the field to observe the, the vandalism and all that? Actually, no. Yeah, it um, it's kind of fortunate that, that they didn't get to experience that part, I think, because um, that's even for me. I'm seasoned archaeologist, been in the field for a long time, and that was really just takes the wind out of your sails. Oh and yeah, makes you think about how you know terrible some people are, and how <laughs> could you you know possibly do this? And um, so I think it was, you know, in some ways it was good that they weren't around, that nobody was at the site um but mel and i um so yeah but at the same time if somebody was out there it could have been a, a, a teaching experience um just go to show them that the world is a cruel place but um <laughs> that's terrible to say but uh you know what i mean at least show them you know anything could happen and maybe get it in their minds that site security and working with the community are important things, um, which we always try and do. Um, and I don't think it was probably done with any malice or, you know, intent. It was probably more just, like I said, kids. Um, but you never know. I don't, you don't want to assume who knows who it was. Um, it's just one of those things that you, you kind of take stick in your back pocket and, uh, try not to think about too much and just move on. <laughs> yeah. Know? But uh, that's, that's the reason why we run a lot of the programs we, we run though. Um, actually uh, two weeks from now, I'll be running my first Boy Scouts merit badge uh, kind of day where I'm going to be uh, working with uh, a group of Boy Scouts, teenagers, I believe. Um, and um, we're going to be working on an American heritage 
merit badge. Um, so there's an actual program through the Boy Scouts of America and um, I'm gonna spend the day kind of teaching them about American history and the way that you know everything functions and take them to uh, you know the site that we're working at, a historic site and show them the processes of archaeology and screening and, and vertical and horizontal control and why we do the things we do. And um, I, I think, and we all agree that, you know, getting people involved and interested when they're young and um, getting them interested in history and preservation, um, you know, just creates more allies for us and more folks on our side um, and, and squashes ignorance or, or, you know, maybe if they see somebody doing some dumb stuff they can hey you know don't do that this is important you know what i mean yeah so uh we we try and work with the community as much as possible and we do public archaeology archaeology events you know every year working with different groups but um yeah i'm i'm excited to kind of run this boy scout merit badge uh camp or whatever you want to call it for the first time uh on my own that should be interesting um but uh like i said it's just kind of creating awareness and, and getting getting more folks interested in what we do. Yeah, that's very cool. And I mean, the the vandalism incident that happened, it's it's like I don't know which is worse, if it if it was wanton disrespect for the site or if it was just casual disrespect for the site. You know, it's right. like it's still heartbreaking either way you slice it and it feels like massive disrespect to you, you know, it's hard not to take that personally. So I guess it's good that students weren't there <laughs> to see yeah, the immediate yeah, to reaction. See me just kind of head in, in hands, just kind of <laughs> half broken for a few minutes, <laughs> just looking over the bricks in dismay, yeah. um, and then having to clean it all up, and you know. Um, but we luckily, I I document the site uh, extensively, as you've seen. I I take photos almost every layer of every unit or feature that we're in just to remember where we were and, yeah. um, you know, and I take photos of the site, the state it's in when we leave. Um, so I did have documentation and photos from the exact angle and was able to match up, you know, before and after pictures of what had been done. And we did file a report with the local uh, sheriff's office about it. And uh, we're able to give really good documentation of what was there prior and, and what had been done. And, uh, you know, and and not a lot can be done, but we felt it was important just to get it on record and maybe have a few uh, patrols through the area to check on it after hours or on the weekends or whatever. But that's just another step of, you know, getting other people involved and interested. And, uh, you know, I think people want to uh, help preserve and, and help, you know, work on our own heritage and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's good on both ends to have law enforcement involved and to have some education aspect involved because if the legality or illegality of vandalism isn't a strong enough deterrent to prevent people from trashing a site then you know perhaps fostering some knowledge and you know appreciation of heritage uh is a better way to go about that if you know the the legality isn't going to stop somebody that's right yeah i agree Nice. Well, uh, so you're you're working solely for Christopher Newport. Well, not at the moment. Uh, well, actually, at, at the moment, I guess uh, 
I would be, but I, you know, I'm able to do different projects, different places, um, kind of a unique position um, that I find myself in where um, technically I'm a contractor and can work, um, you know, pick and choose as I please. But I've been with uh, uh, Alan, my colleague, for so long that we basically um, have a great working relationship and keep busy enough to where I don't really need to look around or travel much um, for work that we've got these great sites right here in the area. Yeah. And um, it just, it's great the way it's worked out that we're um, associated with Christopher Newport. Um, it's kind of a cyclical thing for me. Um, I, we know that spring every year we're going to have the field school and um, he teaches the in-class, you know, portion of historical archaeology. And then on Fridays, you know, students come out and we work in the field. And um, every year it's been kind of at a different place lately. So that kind of depends on where we're going to be at. And then um, summers, as of late, are working on whatever project Alan and I have going on, be it um, back at the blockhouse if we have features that need to be excavated, um, which is basically through that site is owned and maintained by um, James City County. But Alan is their liaison and basically a site supervisor there. So we work in conjunction with the county. Then, um, you know, we get funding for that site from the Wheatland Foundation, which is a nonprofit that, uh, you know, basically works to preserve culturally and historically sensitive uh, lands in James City County, um, you know, around Jamestown and Williamsburg. And um, that they've been great to work with. That's a company that Alan and his wife started um, years back. And then we also, you know, do things specifically just for private entities or um, other government agencies or cities. Um, uh, we've done some surveys um, for different cities around Hampton Roads or different uh, institutions we've worked with. Um, so it just kind of depends on where we are in the season. Um, now during the summer, we last two years, we've been getting interns um, from the history department um, who are interested in archaeology or have participated in the field school that come out and work with us for um, usually it's an eight-week session in the summer and uh, that's been great kind of you know fostering um, you know new knowledge and, and spreading people's uh, horizons a bit and they maybe had been focusing on one portion of history um, during the degree they could actually get out and get their hands dirty and have fun. Um, so we've been doing that. And then a lot of times fall is kind of a, uh, a catch up, dig, dig out features. We found map everything, um, get ready to kind of batten down a bit for the winter where we take it slow and, and kind of settle on site maintenance at different places. So, um, you know, we tend to move around a bit, like I say, uh, but it all depends on where we're needed at the time and, and what site's pressing or, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, how this is, if, if you're on a contract, it, it needs to be done yesterday. So, yeah. um, a lot of times it's whatever's most pressing or whenever, um, we need a report turned in by, we'll clearly, we'll be working on that first, but, um, it's been great to just kind of be able to open up and just fully focus on this one site, this colonial site um 
and uh, we've done, let's see, we did 15 units uh, just between the intern and I um, in June and July. Wow. And uh, that was pretty great getting, um, and it's every 10 feet we did a unit for 150 feet. So we got a really nice window of profiles to look over a good portion of the site. And um, we, he got the chance to jump into a, um, you know, a brick line cellar that was built in the early 1700s. And we cleared that back out and kind of reclaimed it from the wild and um, restored the bricks and things like that. Um, So we got a chance to get a lot done this summer and now we're just kind of um, catching up and doing mapping and, and excavating features all around the foundations and things like that. Nice. And for anybody who's who hasn't seen Matt's uh, pictures on social media, uh, you can check him out at Anthro probably. Uh, Matt, you have the cleanest profile walls I've ever seen, and they're <laughs> they're just like such a joy to look at. It's just very satisfying to see such clean floors and and profile walls. So these, well, thank you. Yeah, these features. It's like every time you post a feature, I'm like, yeah, that's how it's done. All right. <laughs> And that's the goal, you know. I, I love to hear that. I appreciate that for sure. Um, and I do hear that, and that's that's a source of pride for me. I, I'm very uh, particular about my units and walls, and uh, you know, I, I'm very uh, astute at covering things well and not letting rain or weather get into anything and ruin it before we get photos and mapping done. Um, and that's part of it i always kind of joke around uh with colleagues that i should write or put together aesthetics of archaeology textbook or something like that yeah yeah like a coffee table book that's kind of like the shots are more like graphic design oriented kind of (laughs) right Right. yeah just very clean looking dirt faces and profiles just very pleasing to look at (laughs) yeah um you know that zen-like feeling when you finished a unit and you can see subsoil all under it and you haven't caved in a wall yet or you've you perfectly pedestaled an artifact into the wall that that feeling that would be great to get that feeling when you look through a book yeah it would because those moments are just all too fleeting in the field so it'd be nice to you know be able to relive that in pictures right (laughs) maybe i'll have to look at that for the future yeah definitely well what so the last time you were on the show we explored kind of your origin story and your background and kind of how you got to to where you are now let's look at it kind of from the other angle like what's what's it like to teach a field school and what's it like to um you know like kind of what's your experience been being on the other end of things like you know being more of a teacher than a student right yeah it's um it's almost like it it's such a process you don't even notice it happening i think (laughs) yeah um you kind of take these baby steps for so long and um you know in a field like archaeology, you really have to put your time in and um, spend a lot of usually years out in the field um, before anybody's going to listen to what the heck you have to say. Um, so it's kind of a long process of, of taking on more and more responsibility and learning more and becoming more confident in yourself um, to where you know you can start to guess what's going to happen next in a unit or you know what to expect um and it it's uh i guess one way to describe it is it, it makes sense now uh, 
that I'm here because I went through all of all the, <laughs> the whole process. Um, it makes sense to be on the other side teaching because it is, it's a tedious process and, and having to look at thousands upon thousands of, of units and square holes throughout your career. Um, you know, it, it's something to be said for that, but, um, yeah, I actually really enjoy it. And, um, you know, you always, I remember being younger and thinking, oh, if I was teaching this class, I'd do that. Or if I, you know, had students, I wouldn't say that, or I would say this. And, um, I think I kind of, you keep that stuff in your head, whether or not you're actively thinking about it subconsciously. Uh, I teach the way that I would have liked to have been taught or, or experience things. Um, and fortunately I've had some great teachers and great field school, um, teachers as well. And, uh, so that, that's gotta be part of it too. I think, um, if you come from good stock and you learn good methods, um, it's easier to impart that information on a younger generation. Um, and I also don't feel too old or disconnected, um, Right. I'm sure you're very relatable, uh, you know, with your, you know, kind of age. And also you're just like a cool, fun guy. So I'm sure that people are like <laughs> connecting with you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, I just I'm pretty I feel like I'm down to earth. I don't you know, I'm I'm not too lofty headed or anything like that. I'm easy to talk to. I like to think. Um, so I just kind of treat people the way that I'd want to be treated if I was in their position position and um and and it's fun you know i enjoy it i i like um teaching people these skills and and explaining them that look you can do this or something similar for a living you don't have to go wear a tie and sit in a cubicle and crunch numbers all day and stare out the window longingly you can be out here doing things if you wanted to yeah um don't let corporate america fool you um <laughs> But at the same time, you got to make them aware of the pitfalls and uh, explain, be real about it. You know, like that's the first thing I tell people like, well, um, you're never going to be rich doing it, but you might be really happy and enjoy the heck out of your life. Um, and I know so many people that are the complete opposite, that they make plenty of, you know, they've got plenty of money and they're secure and whatever, but they're miserable on a day to day basis. Yeah. And, and for years and years and years, and I just couldn't ever see doing that. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just kind of a, a lifestyle, I guess, where uh, I'd rather be active and be learning my whole life and discovering things and uh, advancing knowledge. And uh, so it all made sense to me. And I try and make it so other folks, you know, could could see that logic and maybe see where it's not crazy to try and go into anthropology or geology or paleontology or, you know, what have you. Um, but uh, it, it's been good. It's been uh, kind of sometimes I, you got to stop and think like, wow, you know, this is a great place to be at. You know, you got to slow down and just think because for so many years you're on the outside kind of looking in and thinking like, man, when am I going to yeah get – my chance to be able to do something and uh, or like you, you said know, you got to put in your time and it's so easy to get like lost in the grind and you just like you know you're just heads down focused on you know getting through your task and just pushing things forward 
that, you know, sometimes you, you got to take the time to, you know, look around and just like, you know, savor the moment and take stock of, of where you are and appreciate it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I tell like the interns or whoever's out with me all the time. It's like, you know, it's great. We get to take our breaks. Just, just look up, watch the birds fly over, listen to the wind, you know, <laughs> yeah enjoy the moment you're in right now in the field. Um, and, you know, it, it's been great to, to soak it up and try and get other people excited about what we do and um, spread the good word, as it were. Yeah, I like to uh, like I pack sandwiches a lot in the field. This is like a, a totally like out of left field tangent. I'm sorry, but uh, I like to pack sandwiches in the field. And one of the things that I like to do on lunch break is I think about all of the places I've sat and eaten a sandwich and a lot of times, you know, it's, it's like archaeology. You're like in a place that few people really take either take the time to go or get to go to. And, you know, there's so many times that I'll be sitting there eating a sandwich thinking, yeah, this is probably a top 10 place I've ever eaten a sandwich. It's, it's pretty <laughs> right. I, I like that. That's a good exercise. And, yeah. And then then you kind of spend your your lunchtime reminiscing and and get that warm, fuzzy feeling. And uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. I like that. Yeah, I'm also a bit of a sandwich artist too, so I like I don't I don't mess around with sandwiches. I like to have a good sandwich in the field. He does like his sandwiches, folks. <laughs> he does. I can attest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys got to get back out to Portland sometime soon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're already kind of in the talks of of looking at calendars and seeing when we're going to be able to get back out there. In one way or another, touched on almost everything. Um, I was gonna say something give a shout out to the the cnu uh plant <laughs> that built us that box i thought about saying something about that but um yeah give them a shout out and then i'm trying to think what else um oh yeah uh cat paw prints on the brick that was pretty cool cat paw prints so like when somebody was making the brick like a cat must have walked through it right yeah like uh there is literally one of these bricks on the front stoop of what was the 18th century ruins the brick ruins at our colonial site and i'd seen this brick probably you know a hundred times and not paid too much attention because it was one of the articulated bricks in the Uh foundation and one day i don't know if it was the right light or i just was kind of looking at them one by one uh, I noticed that there are these two little paw prints just pressed in to the bricks and it's, it has a bit of glaze on it. It was a fully fired brick and everything. Um, so what happened was at the site out there, there's really, really nice clay and you can go down towards uh, the Creek that's near the site and just pull some up right off the side of the Creek. And it's really nice and packable and fireable. And uh, so they would they would make these uh, bricks at the site, fire them in a kiln, you know, there or nearby, and then they would lay them out to dry and, you know, put them in a field or lay them in the sun for a while. And evidently, uh, you know, sometimes we'll find thumbprints or bird, you know, footprints or whatever. But uh, evidently they had a a barn cat or something that uh, (laughs) decided to walk by and just looks like he stood you know, two feet right next to each other on one of the cooling bricks and uh, left these two perfect little paw prints. 
So we ended up removing it and uh, that's going to end up being a, an exhibit piece for sure. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I can totally picture a cat just coming and standing on it being like, look, I'm helping. Right. <laughs> look at me. Not that I care what you think. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, we found uh, that was one of the neater things of that site. I don't know if you ever saw, I posted about a um, a pipe bowl, a ceramic pipe bowl that ended up having um, initials stamped into it. Oh, cool. Um, so this ended up being um, probably like the class of the site artifacts, you know, um, it had a L and an E stamped into the front. And um, after talking with some colleagues over at uh, Historic St. Mary's City in Maryland, um, they led me on to a pipe maker in uh, Bristol in the UK um, who was active from about 1660 to the 1680s. And uh, the folks you know, who constructed the house that we're at, um, that's when they were coming, you know, to the new world and settling here. Um, so it matched right up with what exactly we were looking for. Um, and then, you know, later we found, um, you may have seen the video of me, uh, the time lapse of me, um, excavating a pipe stem that was decorated. Yeah. Um, that actually has the, the stylistic Bristol diamonds, around the pipe stem and that was found in the same trash pit as the pipe bowl with the L and the E. So it was a Llewellyn Evans uh, pipe and he would put these characteristic Bristol diamonds around the stem and stamp his L and E on there. And um, sure enough, like I said, it matches up with um, exactly with the, the timeline of, of when this guy would have been coming over from England. Man, that is so cool. You, you know, like I hear it all the time in archaeology and and I totally, you know, agree with it too, but uh it's not about the single artifact, it's about the whole picture, but in instances like that, you've got a single artifact that tells, you know, it kind of helps broaden the story of a family coming from the UK over to the New World because they brought things with them that you could only get from, you know, like you said, Bristol. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was uh that was a pretty uh elated feeling to um to really put that together and um be able to absolutely um figure out the origin of that pipe and to know that the family um came from not far from Bristol before they settled in Isle of Wight, that was just kinda that was great. Doesn't really get better than that. Yeah, that is super awesome feel like i'm sure i've missed things because i'm all over the place um we've been so busy but uh yeah yeah it's always great catching up and uh you know love talking about what we do and 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 sharing the uh sharing the info and the uh experience yeah it's it's always great having you on the show and you know i'll definitely be you know touching back in with you to get you back on here and it'll be great to have uh you and mel come out and visit sometime absolutely man we're looking forward to it Thanks again for having me, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, for anybody who didn't catch it earlier in the show, you can follow Matt on social media. You're at Anthroprobably on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, you've got a Facebook page as well. Um, does Christopher Newport have any social media that people should check out? 
They've got just the regular sites for now. Um, we haven't created a, uh, a handle or done any sort of social accounts for the archaeology yet, um, but I kind of have a feeling that we will be doing something in the future. Um, for now, if you, you know, find me on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like Chris said, um, at Anthroprobably, one word, um, you can kind of follow along with whatever project we're working on. Um, and a lot of times it's university affiliated. Nice, nice. And uh, we'll look out for the coffee table book coming soon as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll have to get you to help me out with that. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Uh, I'll be in touch. Sounds good, man. Good talk to you.